U.S. imposing swift and severe costs on Russia following Ukraine annexation. Isn't it funny how, depending on who you are, the response to annexation goes from welcoming you with open arms to sanctions to murder everybody? That's a large part of the rearranging of seven countries in five years. If you ever wonder why the United States is sending billions of dollars to Ukraine while people in both Michigan and Mississippi drink literal sludge. It's because they want to control the resources and the pipelines. Let them drink oil, is what they said. Isn't America just great? Yeah, don't we have the moral authority to intervene in Iran? What will the women do if we don't <laughs> occupy their country and steal their resources? You're oppressed by your own people or you're gonna end up oppressed by the US. Choose your own oppressor sort of thing. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gaz and Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you served in the occupation army, but you stand with the women of Iran. Yes. <laughs> well, there was that video, and we're going to talk about that before we get into to today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the palestinepod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional one to two podcasts per week, including the Patreon pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine pop culture and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash Palestine. So I want to follow up on that Marvel story. We talked about how, you know, the Zionists will have people in places of power where they can influence decisions. There is reporting by the Mint Press that shows that Marvel heads are revealed to be closely connected to the Zionist lobby. There are many individuals who have held or still maintain roles at Marvel that are associated with the Zionist military, intelligence, and institutions. First off, Isaac Perlmutter, the current chairman of Marvel Entertainment, served in the Zionist army during 67. Perlmutter oversees a foundation that contributes to several pro-Israel causes, such as the ADL, Friends of the IDF, and Jewish Agency for Israel. Avi Arad, the CEO of Marvel Entertainment, also served in the Zionist Occupation Army during 67. Marvel Comics investors Carl Econ and Ronald Perlman are also tied to the occupation. Both Perlman and Econ were revealed as donors to former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Perlman's foundation has also contributed to several pro-Israel organizations, including the JNF, which is a leading organization in establishing illegal Israeli settlements displacing Palestinians. These are just a few of the connections between the Marvel Universe and the apartheid Israel Universe. And we were correct in our assumption that they have infiltrated Marvel, 
put people in positions of power and now are able to create a narrative that is favorable towards the occupation. It's crazy that you could be accused of anti-Semitism for literally just stating facts. It's even crazier that there are people who will weaponize anti-Semitism against a Jew, speaking out about the moral quandary that is the Zionist occupation of Palestine. There's an article in Workers Today that says, Hollywood producers working with Israel to defend its war crimes. As Israel was launching a deadly assault on Gaza, killing thousands of civilians and displacing more than 100,000 people, many of America's top TV executives were trying to organize on a secret email chain. WikiLeaks documents show that top Hollywood producers were working with Israel to defend its war crimes. Many of America's top TV, music, and film producers were organizing to protect the apartheid state's reputation from widespread international condemnation. The Sony archive, a cache of emails published by WikiLeaks, proved that influential entertainment magnets attempted to whitewash Israeli crimes and present the situation as defending itself from an impending, quote, genocide, liaised with the Israeli military and government officials in order to coordinate their message, attempted to cancel those who spoke out against the injustice, and put financial and social pressure on institutions who hosted artists criticizing the apartheid government's actions. Many in Hollywood on the email chain expressed deep concern. We must make sure that this never happens again, insisted producer Ron Rolfotes. He was not talking about the murder of innocent people in Gaza. He was talking about the fact that many of the entertainment world's biggest stars, including celebrity couple Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem, had condemned Israel's actions, labeling them genocide. This is all a quote from an email that was sent out. Change must start from the top down. It should be unheard of and unacceptable for any Academy Award winning actor to call the legitimate armed defense of one's territory genocide, he continued, worrying that BDS was gaining steam in the world of artists. The occupation's legitimacy rests upon political and military support from the United States. Therefore, maintaining support among the American public is crucial to the long-term viability of its settler colonial project. Producer George Perez messaged his colleagues in a chain email to introduce them to an IDF colonel, stating, Everyone, please use this reply all list from here on. I have included Kobe Marome, a retired commander in the Israeli army. Kobe was kind enough to give my family and I a Jeep tour of the Golan Heights, which, may we remind you, occupied Syria. The Golan Heights during our June trip to Israel. He also took us on a visit to an army base on the border of Israel and Syria, an area which has been in the news lately. Hard to imagine that the kids that we met at the base are most likely engaged in combat with our enemies. So among the people who were on this email chain is Israeli-American movie star Natalie Portman. And she didn't really seem down with this organizing effort because she replied, how did I get on this list? <laughs> Wait, what I swear is this is true. Real? She said, how did I get on this list? Also, Ryan Seacrest, I guess, who was apparently also on the list. 
She replied before directly addressing Kavanaugh, writing, can you please remove me from this email list? You should not be copying me publicly so that 20 people I don't know have my personal info. I will have to change my email address now. Thank you. While Portman's open contempt for the group of rabidly pro-Israel producers is notable, more so was Kavanaugh's response. Kavanaugh wrote back, sorry, you were right. Jews being slaughtered for their beliefs and con members calling for the boycott of anything Israel or Jewish is much, much less important than your email address being shared with 20 of our peers who are trying to make a difference. My deepest apologies. I had lunch yesterday with Israel Consulate General who brought up J Street to me. He was so perplexed confused and concerned when he heard you supported them that he begged me to connect you to. And the emails also revealed that promoting engagement with Israel within the African-American community is one of Russell Simmons's major priorities. Russell Simmons, of course, the head of Def Jam Records and you know, former head of All Def Digital. He is a staple in the hip hop community business world, but he is somebody who has been accused of rape and sexual assault by a number of women. The relevant portion to this is him replying that he said, quote, we have hundreds of collaboration programs between imams, rabbis, and their congregations. We have many respected imams who would join former chief rabbi Medsker, Rabbi Schneider, and non-Jews in promoting the Saudi peace plan. Through this campaign, we will be helping Israel, he concluded. This is a really creepy exchange that you are telling us about. Yeah. Shout out WikiLeaks. So this week, there are a few viral posts that I want to talk about. The first is the clip of the students in a kindergarten in occupied Janine. Apparently, the occupation was carrying a raid out on Janine, as they do very often, and as, as they have been doing in recent months, very often. And a nearby kindergarten was on the receiving end of just incessant sounds of the bombs. And all you see are these children who are crying, trying to, to get any attention from the adults, horrified and just terrified because of the, the, the sounds, which basically like when you see the video, it makes it look like the kindergarten itself is being bombed, which I understand is not the case, but that it was from the occupation that was happening nearby. And you see the adults, which are working in the kindergarten, that are telling the students that, oh no, it's nothing. It's just a wedding nearby. So there's a lot of things happening there. I can talk about how we shouldn't have to send our kids to school at five years old. We just have to experience this. I could talk about the impact that it's going to have on these kids as they grow up to be on the receiving end of this incessant trauma, which is never treated. And they just continue to live different versions of it day after day. But the thing that I want to focus on is how even in those moments where Palestinians as adults who themselves have experienced this trauma, because they also grew up under occupation, and now they're adults and they're taking care of the next generation, even though these adults themselves are traumatized and they're watching this new generation of Palestinian children being traumatized, something is happening where they are covering for the occupation and they're, they're actually managing or they're trying to give these kids a semblance of normalcy, which I think is extraordinary. Not only are 
would you not even expect them to be able to do this? They're saying, no, 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 everything is fine. Everything is normal. They're trying to create the space of normalcy for these children where there is absolutely none. And it's a funny contrast to what the Zionists will say about Palestinians when they'll say, oh, we teach our children to hate or, oh, we're just, um, this is how we are. We just hate them for who they are instead of what they're doing to us. Actually, not only is that not true, but it's so far from being true because in these moments where we could tell our children, this is what's happening. There's a Zionist raid on Janine and we're being occupied. And this is what the Zionists are doing to us. And yes, it's scary and it's horrifying. In those moments, instead, what we're doing is we're covering for them. We're trying to tell these children, no, everything is fine. No, it's all good. It's just a wedding. It's going to stop. You're fine. To me, that's like, why are we not talking about that more? Why are we not talking about the, the emotional weight that every Palestinian under occupation lives and then how they try to still create moments of normal life for the children that they are raising? I think it's just, it blew me away when I heard that in that clip. You said covering for the occupation, and I understand what you mean. You meant like trying to create a situation where the kids are comfortable. The kids yes. are not in a state of panic. I yes. wouldn't call that covering for the occupation because covering for the occupation is like what the Palestinian Authority is doing, right? Where they are yeah. actually coming in, doing the work of the occupation, doing the raids, killing people, like creating a situation where it's Palestinians who are regulating the opportunities and activity of other Palestinians for acting in opposition to the Zionist occupation. So I understand what you meant, but I just wanted to, yeah, because there is no, that there are the Palestinian, sure. like the Palestinian authority has been wiling out recently, conducting yeah. raids of their own firing in public. Like they are bugging. Yes. And I don't mean covering in that sense. You know, we are people who have every right to tell our children the things that are happening to us. We have every right to do that. Yes. But we also are, in so many of these moments, trying to protect our children from the reality of the occupation. Yes. Which, which they're going to grow up and they're going to know because every aspect of their life deals with avoiding being murdered for being Palestinian on your land. I mean, that's something that it's, it's an inevitable part of, of life under occupation. But nevertheless, when the kids are really young and when you try to preserve some innocence and when you're trying to just give them as you know as normal of an upbringing as possible there are so many times when palestinian families or parents are going to are going to tell their kids that the sounds of the zionist bombs no it's not a bomb it's just you know it's just a plane you know and that's because you're trying to protect your child yeah it, it, it's just i understand i understand what you're saying it's Yo it's totally like moments that you or i will never ever have to experience. We'll never have to sit there and, and think about what to tell our child about this Zionist bomb. Yeah. It's like the kids will grow up eventually and realize that it wasn't the tooth fairy. Right. Sure. And, but the kids already know, like there are a lot of kids who are well aware. That's why Ryan Suleiman, he ran away from the occupation army was chased to his death because he knew, he knew what happens when the Zionist occupation catches you. At seven years old, he was privy to that information. He knew that running was his better option. 
Right. Because no matter how how hard their parents or their communities try to shield them from this, the reality is that it's an it's something that they become privy to very, very, very quickly. And Rayan Suleiman, of course, is another one of those viral stories that we heard about this week. A seven-year-old boy who, while running away from occupation soldiers, and this begs the question, what on earth do occupation soldiers have? What business do they have chasing a seven-year-old boy in his neighborhood? What, what is this for? Why is nobody asking what why they're doing that in the first place? It's just taken as some sort of an inevitable fact. And then, oh, it's unfortunate that the boy has died. But nobody's questioning the presence of the occupation on his land or what they were doing chasing him to begin with. I haven't seen any mainstream media source that has covered the death of Rayan Suleiman talk about why is it that these Israeli occupation soldiers are chasing him to begin with? Seven years old is really young. It has really hit his community very hard. We saw videos of his parents saying goodbye to him shortly before his funeral. And his father said, a soldier ran after him until he died of fear. I took him in the car to the hospital, yet they stopped me again to check the car, although they saw him dead. He put the gun in my head and said he needs to check the other house. So get this. Not only did they kill this boy, but when the father was trying to take the boy to the hospital, he was stopped by soldiers, again, who not only subjected him to a check, forced him to show his house and subjected the house to a check before the boy could be taken to a hospital, even though the boy was already dead. These people have absolutely no humanity. I'm reading from CNN, by the way. This is a CNN article. Thousands attend funeral for seven-year-old who died, Palestinians say, in Israeli troops chase. Why are any troops chasing a seven-year-old boy? Hey, how many soldiers does it take to chase a seven-year-old? But, but I mean, even just the notion that CNN is going to print this and, and talk about Israeli troops chase. You're talking about a seven-year-old boy. Don't you... Isn't that the more interesting angle of this article is why is this happening in the first place? And what what is this sort of unbridled state power that, you know, and violence that is allowing this scenario to occur? They have absolutely no respect for the sanctity of human life. It's so difficult to create a child. Like there are women whose bodies, they're never the same. Like they... Their mental is never the same. Their physical is never the same. They they make sacrifices with their literal body. And then the occupation army just comes through and gets rid of your child, just murders your child for literally no reason. That's somebody's child. That is a literal baby. And it, they're just like, yeah, cost of doing business. No big deal. That mother will never be the same. That father will never be the same. There is no situation where a mother and a father should have to be burying their seven-year-old child. And it's like, the kid wasn't sick, right? There was no issue. The only problem that child had, he was born under occupation in Palestine. He was Palestinian. 
And so he was chased to his death by the occupation army because that is their modus operandi. That is what they do. They murder Palestinians. They'll try and stop you from having children. That's why women have to smuggle sperm out of jails to procreate. They'll try and stop you before you even have kids. And if you manage to have a kid, they'll probably kill him. Like clockwork, the so-called Israeli army was asked for a comment on this incident. And the spokesperson said that soldiers did not run after children and that no soldier stopped the father taking his son to the hospital. And that the only reason soldiers were there is because they saw people throwing stones at vehicles on the road. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain with an automatic rifle. It is so crazy how they are literally there with all of this weaponry and then everyone keeps dying and then they just say, oh, no, no, it wasn't us. We were just there, you know, we were just on a walk and then this thing also happened, but it wasn't us, the only people. (laughs) And if it was us, it's because they threw rocks, right? And so it's justified because we are defending ourselves from children. Also earlier this week, the Palestinian Ministry of Health has reported that four Palestinians were killed in occupied Janine during yet another raid and many more injured, well over 40 as of now. Every week there's a new raid on Janine. And every week we see this the images of new martyrs from Janine. The occupation is killing our youth, our, you know, the, the, the young men that are supposed to get married and, you know, be the fathers of the next generation of Palestinians. And every week, the Israeli occupation robs us of yet another beloved family member. And this week, it was Mohammed Al-Ona, Mohammed Abu Nasa, Ahmed Alauna and Abed Khazim. You look at their pictures, they look like they have bright futures ahead of them. They look like any one of my cousins, uncles, whatever it may be. And here we are mourning yet again the loss of beloved Palestinians. It doesn't get any easier. It doesn't get any easier. Glory to the martyrs of Palestine. Shout out to the boys and girls in Janine who are resisting because we've been seeing y'all putting points on the board. Ian Palestine has also reported this week that an 18-year-old Palestinian young man by the name of Fayyaz Damdoum has been killed by the occupation in Jerusalem on October 1st. Ion Palestine has published another video showing some of the confrontations that take place between occupation armored vehicles and Palestinians in the southern Bethlehem area on September 30th. And you literally see this armored occupation vehicle become coming very close to running over Palestinians who are protesting its presence. Oh, they tried they tried and to run them absolutely over. September 28th. Human Rights Watch published a statement that states should act to protect human rights in Palestine and dismantle Israel's apartheid. One of the leading human rights organizations in the world. They spoke about the Israeli raids of the offices of seven Palestinian civil society organizations and the Zionist attempt to order their closure as a means to further silence Palestinians. They wrote about the escalation of the repression of 
their Palestinian partners. Human Rights Watch regularly collaborates with many organizations on the ground, including the International Federation for Human Rights, Amnesty International. And they talked about the arming escalation of their Palestinian partners. And they put out this call to voice their support to Palestinian civil society in their fight against the abusive and prolonged occupation, annexation, impunity, and apartheid. And I thought it was a great statement, very strong, basically to say that states should call on the Israeli government to rescind its designations of Palestinian human rights groups as terrorist organizations and allow them to carry out their vital work unhindered and that overall these states should make clear that they will impose meaningful consequences on the Israeli government should it fail to reverse course. Necessary statement, obviously far, far from seeing anything like this happen, but I do feel like the major human rights organizations have been getting more and more ballsy in terms of the language that they're using to stand up against Israeli apartheid. Ever since the, the, the reports came out by Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, I feel like their coverage and their representation of this issue has been a lot more clear and a lot more focused on the reality, which is it's apartheid everywhere and it needs to be dismantled as opposed to the way that they used to talk, which was more so in terms of the language of, you know, there's Israel and the occupied territories. And yeah, it's really upsetting what's happening in the occupied territories, but that's as far as they were willing to go. So it it is definitely interesting to take note of how far the language has come, at least in terms of the mainstream human rights discourse. Yeah, it's nice to see their progression. It's taken them long enough. And I'll quote Mohammed El-Kurd when I say, I'm sure the occupation is shaking in its boots based on all of these strongly worded letters and speeches. Yeah. Well, we know they're not, but at a minimum, we need we need this. It's a minimum, right? It's yeah. it's a it's it's a floor, not a ceiling. It's just the bare minimum. You just have to tell the truth about what's happening. Yeah, we know they're not even wearing boots. It's a flip-flop place. <laughs> the IMEU has reported that Google workers have gathered in protest of Project Nimbus, a $1.2 billion contract with the apartheid Israel government and military that will provide the apartheid state with harmful technology to use against Palestinians. The contract, which also includes Amazon, will further entrench Israel's violent apartheid system. So far, hundreds of Google and Amazon employees have spoken out against Project Nimbus. Don't they have enough dystopian technology? I know, right? Like, at what point is it like, hey, we've got it. We've got enough. We've got the full dragnet surveillance. We could literally read people's text messages as they're typing them. Like... It's We're okay. Good. We're good. Yeah. yeah. The But uh, that's the thing is like they they never will feel safe. It's their own insecurity that drives the teeth of the occupation. They're scared that Palestinians will organize. They're scared that Palestinians will return and outnumber them. They're scared that one day they will be subject to the same oppression that they dish out every single day. And so that's why they're gripping so tight on that handle of the the gun, right? Because that's the only thing. The resupply from America and that gun is the only thing that keeps them from being locked in cages is what they believe. 
is what they believe. The most Palestinians just want to live. Like Palestinians yeah. have no interest in like keeping the checkpoints or like putting <laughs> Israelis into kind of like there's there's no Gilboa prison that Palestinians run, right? No. No. And and, and there and, never and will ask, be. No, and 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 that's exactly the point. Ask any Palestinian what liberation means. It just means that oh, I my house won't be demolished. It means that, oh, I can just go to school without encountering an occupation soldier. It means I can return to the land that my grandfather was born on, that I still have the deed and the key to the house of. Yeah, that's what liberation looks like. And if that's scary to you, then query why that's scary to you and what you must be doing in order for that to be a scary thing for you. Well, they're living in that house, so. Yeah. Exactly. I could see them being scared. Um, tech workers for Palestinian freedom, another Google worker against apartheid, another Google worker against evil tech are just some of the posters that were held by employees who attended this demonstration against the Nimbus project. And there was a high profile resignation by a Jewish Google employee. Her name is Ariel Koren. She was featured on a podcast with Diana Butu. Check it out. It's worth listening to. It's a good interview and it's worthwhile to hear from her why she decided to publicly resign for this reason. Being a Jewish Google employee who can no longer support the occupation of Palestine. Yeah, Ariel's story went viral at the end of August when she announced that she was leaving Google due to retaliation and hostility against workers who speak out. She wrote on Twitter, quote, Google moved my role overseas immediately after I opposed its 1 billion AI slash surveillance contracts with Israel. And this is far from an isolated instance. And the New York Times reported at the time, Google employee who played key role in protest of contract with Israel quits. The worker said the company had tried to retaliate against her activism, opposing a deal with the Israeli military, while co-workers argued that the company had an anti-Palestinian bias. The company's like, we don't have an anti-Palestinian bias. What even is Palestine? (laughs) Uh, This message has been brought to you by friends of the IDF. Ariel also shared quotes of fellow Google employees who were Palestinian and whose identities were withheld to protect their jobs jobs. and livelihoods. (laughs) Because the thing is, is these fucking psychos will do anything and everything they can to rob you of your livelihood. It's just like that story where the Hollywood executives are like, nobody who has touched an Academy Award should be allowed to say anything negative about the occupation because we'll never cast them in anything again. By the way, if you never see me on TV, you know why. I'm boycotting them. I'm boycotting Thank you, Michael, for the, for the yeah. clarification. Not because not they're boycotting me. You know what I mean? It, it is mutual, apparently. But. Arielle shared, one of her former colleagues wrote, as a Palestinian, my feelings of marginalization only grew when I began seeing my coworkers issued warnings just for having empathy for Palestinians. Another Palestinian Google worker wrote, working at Google was always my dream job until I learned about Project Nimbus. I feel like I'm making my living off of the oppression of my family back home. If Google truly believes in avoiding unjust impact through the use of their AI, then why are they choosing to profit from a billion dollar contract with the government and military, which consistently violates international law? 
which is a very important question. Another anonymous Palestinian Googler said, it has become impossible to express any opinion of disagreement of the war waged on Palestinians without being called into an HR meeting with the threat of retaliation. They're like, warning, you have expressed sympathy for Palestinians. That could cost you your job. Warning. This has been a warning from Google. Warning. Is it just like an automatic warning? Oh, yeah. It's not a real person. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's an AI. It's a warning. bot. That, yeah. yeah. They, have a, they have a bot for it's that. It's a part of Project Nimbus, actually. <laughs> there's like a, yeah, there's a special, like, you know, an Alexa, but, or whatever, Lexus. Yeah, but for but, empathy. Yeah, but for Palestinian empathy, right. They're like, warning, warning. It, <laughs> it appears that you're expressing sympathy for Palestinians, and I think you want to keep your job. Warning. Ariel also shared that in 2020, Google even apologized to Jewish employees for donating to the Movement for Black Lives, claiming that the donations were anti-Semitic because of the Movement for Black Lives support for Palestinians. Wow. Then, in the name of fighting anti-Semitism, the company made a $400,000 donation to four right-wing non-Black groups in the middle of the Black Lives Matter uprisings. Hundreds of Jews protested and escalated our descent to our management chains, but leadership ignored us. She then continued, the next year, amidst the May 2021 siege on Gaza, Google signed its enormous $1 billion contract to aid Israel in scaling out displacement and surveillance of Palestinians. The world's largest search engine weaponizing diversity to justify harming Palestinians is a crisis of conscience. She then said, more and more workers are speaking out. Workers are fed up with Google's aggressive pursuit of military contracts and pattern of unlawful retaliation. We are fighting back and we have each other's backs. Workers and civil society won't stop until Google does the right thing. Drop Nimbus. What a brave, brave woman. This woman is single-handedly taking on and becoming the face for, let's say, this movement to expose Google for its nefarious contracts with an occupation and their funding of the surveillance and the murder of Palestinians. And she is coming out and saying, not only am I going to be the face for this, but I'm going to stand in the way of dozens and dozens of Palestinian workers who were my former coworkers who can't reveal their identities because of the retaliation that will take place against them. And as a Jewish individual is putting her body on the line for Palestinians. And I think it's very, very, very admirable of her to do so. I think it's, I mean, it's yeah, let me, let me put it in ways that Zionists will understand. She's acting as a moral human shield. Yeah, that's literally it. She is putting her body and her livelihood and her future endeavors and ability to earn in the way of Zionists who would surely attack all of the people who are associated with this movement, many of whom have decided to stay anonymous because they need to keep their jobs. Exactly. And it's like, she's one of many Jews who recognizes the position we live in, like the position that we hold and the power of our voice because we're Jewish, because they weaponize anti-Semitism, because we have this moral obligation to speak out for the people of Palestine. And she is doing a great job 
Much respect to her and to all of the other Jews who are in the same situation. Along the same lines, it was actually reported by the IMEU that the apartheid state is now using a remote control gun inside of occupied Hebron. It's an AI-controlled gun at a highly trafficked occupation checkpoint where Palestinians have to pass every single day now has been set up and installed by the occupation army. And you know that when that thing spits bullets, like they're just going to be like, whoops, coding mistake. Sure, if they even admit it. But yeah, that'll be a great new, you know, two-liner that's going to get them, absolve them of any responsibility for their actions. Yeah, it used to be human error. And they'd be like, oh, human error. Now they're going to be like, there's got to be room for the AI to learn. Sure. How many lives does the AI have to claim before you guys are like, oh, well, I guess we should just put children in front of the guns again. Now, to be clear, the apartheid state forces all Palestinians in occupied Hebron to move through this checkpoint, whether they're going to work, school, visit family or friends. It is just a daily obstacle that Palestinians have to face. And now when they are walking through this checkpoint, there's always going to be a risk that this AI controlled gun is going to murder them. That's just going to be one of the you know new things I have to worry about if I'm a Palestinian living in occupied Hebron. This AI-powered gun will fire stun grenades, tear gas, and bullets at Palestinians, according to the IMEU. Tear gas and coated bullets fired by the Israeli military have seriously injured and killed Palestinians in the past. So they're just, you know, par for the course, doing what they do best, which is just come up with new ways to murder Palestinians. Hey, how many Zionists do you think stare down the barrel of a gun every single day? Or are they busy reloading it? You know what I mean? It's like there was a scene in Rami, and we talked about this more on the Patreon pod, but there's a scene in Rami where Rami is with a bunch of Zionists. They enter the occupation. Rami's uncle gets caught up and detained. And then Rami and his Zionist friend, they are, the Zionist friend is like, oh, yeah, like he'll just be processed for like a few hours, probably just getting a vibe check on him. And then Rami's like, okay, but what's the process? And the Zionist kid, who's from America, is like, oh, I don't know. I've never been stopped, but we should get out of here just before we get processed as well, right? Let's let's get out of here. Like, they know something is wrong. They know that they don't want to be treated the same way as Palestinians, and they want to get away from it as quickly as possible so that they can go back to, you know, drinking on the beach and doing drugs in these clubs. And that actually reminds me of a video that I saw on Instagram recently where it was a black woman who was asking a group of white women, they were like, how many of you would trade places with a black person? You know what I mean? And obviously the women like tried to deflect and be like, well, I dated a blah, blah, blah. And it's like, the answer is none because you recognize that there's a discrepancy between the way you're treated and the way they're treated. And you don't want to experience that. Hundred percent, and that's like the only question that you could ask them where that discrepancy becomes apparent. Because ask them any other question, like, do you think like you know there's racism against black people? They'll say, well, no. I mean, it's fine. Everything's fine. I'm not racist. I dated a black guy once, and he said it was cool. (laughs) A popular propaganda video has been circulating around Twitter and Instagram of Israeli women declaring their support of Iranian women. And it was published actually by the official at Israel Twitter account. There are numerous shots of Israeli women, quote unquote, standing with Iranian women. 
and declaring their support for the protests taking place in Iran and Masa Amini. The irony is not lost on them, of course, because the majority of responses to this post on Twitter are people pointing out the ever so um, interesting fact that they are very happy to stand by Iranian women, whereas every single day the occupation is beating and murdering and destroying the lives of Palestinian women and girls without stopping to even and not just palestinian women iraqi women afghani women yemeni women you know what i mean syrian women literally the occupation is engaged in murdering pillaging destroying like everywhere and so for these people to stand on the graves of murdered palestinians and say we stand with the women of iran it's like no, you don't. You super don't. You fucking, your government has openly said that it needs to change the regime in Iran. Benjamin Netanyahu sat in Congress and said, we need regime change both in Iraq and in Iran. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And in Iraq, it was 2003. In Iran, they're trying to reboot it right now. One of the responses on Twitter is somebody reposting the video of the Palestinian girls from the kindergarten who were terrified because of Israeli bombs in Janine. I wonder if these Zionists who are in this video and support this video are also supportive of the Palestinian school children in Janine who are terrified because of the nearby occupation raid, or do those girls not count yeah i saw another video that was like a mashup of the israeli women saying we support iran and then human rights violations in palestine against palestinian women and it's a great video that highlights the hypocrisy of that statement that you know you could stand in occupied palestine and be like we support the women of iran and also i've seen a ton of people attacking Islam in general, right? And telling hijabis to take off their hijab in support of what's happening of Iran. And it's like super duper disgusting. Nobody has the right to tell a woman to put on a hijab, to take it off. That is every woman's own decision. That uh, white feminism, you know, the kind that gets really excited about freeing women from hijab, but doesn't care at all about the real issue, which is a woman's choice over her own body, bodily autonomy, and the ability to live as a citizen with full rights and to make choices about your life. You know, that's the issue here. It's not about if I cover or if I don't cover or what your thoughts are about me covering. They don't understand any of that. You know, they think it's just for them, it's just this fascination with how do we make the Muslim woman take off her hijab and how do we free her from this surely oppressive cloth when it's like, have you ever even talked to a Muslim woman? Do you even know any? Never Muslimed. (laughs) Dr. Yara Hawari actually posted on Twitter something that I find very, very poignant in respect to this. And she wrote, the manic glee and overt fascination with women in the global South taking off their hijabs whilst not giving a shit about the crippling Western sanctions or bombs that kill them really sums up white feminism in a nutshell. They'll be like, I support the women who are oppressed and 
they have to wear hijabs. And that's why I'm going on birthright. Sounds about right. That's why I actually kicked this Palestinian family out of their home and I'm living in their home. It's because I support women's rights. Uh, I support a women's right to be homeless. I was looking very whistleblower-ish. So... <laughs> Well, speaking of whistleblowers, Edward Snowden was given Russian citizenship. Yes. He is me in the future. (laughs) You know, Edward Snowden is my celebrity crush, right? That is weird. (laughs) The man looks like he has no iron in his system. (laughs) He probably doesn't. Okay. That's fine. I'm not trying to like like him because of the levels of irony it's like i don't know what you want no he's just an icon he's like he's to me like a living example of somebody who takes his privilege and does the right thing with it absolutely and i I think that's so admirable and there's very few people in this world where you're just like oh you did the right thing with what god gave you like you have all of these skills and privilege and abilities and whatever, and you're using it for good. And that like almost never happens. So shout out Julian Assange as well. Of course, both of them. I mean, less of a sex symbol, but <laughs> still righteous, still righteous, but having a much harder time. Yeah. He didn't get to Russia. No. And I mean, Is he still like in an embassy? Like, what is he? Where is he right now? He's locked up in transit, I believe, going to be extradited back to the United States to face likely fallacious charges behind some secret court. Yeah. One month. America. Yeah. Isn't America just great? Yeah. Don't we have the moral authority to intervene in Iran? (laughs) The women need us over there. What will the women do if we don't (laughs) occupy their country and steal their resources? Think of the women. U.S. imposing swift and severe costs on Russia following Ukraine annexation. Isn't it funny how, depending on who you are, the response to annexation goes from welcoming you with open arms to sanctions to murder everybody? It's just like, how can you take yourself seriously? How can they keep up with the lies? Right. Like, (laughs) I'm getting confused. Right. I'm not even the one doing the lying. Is annexation bad or is it good? Well, here's the thing. It's a good test. When it's done by the United States government or its allies, it's good. It's It's very good. good. But when it's done by literally anybody else, it's a bad. It's a bad. Very bad thing. You could die. Yeah. You're bad. And that's pretty much the litmus test. Like, that's the way to tell. Yeah, that's just, it. You saw that they it's blew just... up the Nord Stream pipeline as well. Like, Yeah, what is that? Why did they do? Who did this? Well, very likely the United States because they right? threatened it already. And now and they're blaming it. I mean, who cares what they're blaming it on? But for sure, it's very, it's. It's most likely done by covert operatives working for the United States government. And it's because the United States is trying to control the world through natural resources and pipelines. Mm -hmm. 
that's a large part of what the rearranging of seven countries in five years, as General Wesley Clark put it, whenever he gave that talk, put mm -hmm. in the video. He's got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. Yep. You know, the last two countries remaining are Syria and Iran, and it's because they want to control the resources and the pipelines that they have either built or were already built and want to control the flow. If you ever wonder why the United States is sending billions of dollars to Ukraine while people in both Michigan and Mississippi drink literal sludge, it's because... <laughs> They don't give a fuck about us. They care about controlling natural resources and pipelines. And let them drink oil, I believe, is what they said. Yes. And that is why you will see U.S. officials just jump at the opportunity to declare their support for Iranian women. Not because they care, they don't care at all, but because they have every interest in making sure that the regime in Iran topples and that whoever is put in its place is very sympathetic to the U.S. imperial interests. They're trying to get another Shah of Iran situation going. Yeah, They really like the Shah because they put him in for the same reason that I've talking about before. And ever since like 79, they've been having a real issue with Iran have messaged me to be like oh but like don't you support running women of course i do of course i do I, and and this is not such an annoying thing to say like yes. no i hate women in iran yeah. Yeah. i love like, women in palestine i love women in iraq but when it comes to iran that's the only one i don't care about it's like don't you guys see that that's actually your position your yeah. position yeah. is i only care about the women in iran i have never heard of palestine you know what i mean like what are you talking? They've never heard the name Sandra Bland. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, obviously I support women in Iran. And obviously this is not to say that they're not being oppressed by their own government. They're two separate things. But then the question is, how is the U.S. going to use this moment, which is probably very necessary, needs to happen for the benefit of the people who live there. But how are they going to then use that to benefit and to maximize their ability to get in there and exploit the situation. And, and that's exactly what's happening and going to keep happening. The yeah. problem is, is that any time that any people seek to free themselves from the oppression that they are facing, it's always an opportunity for the U.S. to say, hey, we can get in there. It's our moment. It's, it's now, right? And that's what they did with Egypt. Sure. That's what they did with every single country Libya? in the Middle East. Yeah. You remember every... when people were clamoring for intervention in Libya? They're like, yep. we've got to get rid of Gaddafi. And it's yep. like, okay, sure. Gaddafi wasn't great. Like there was, no. there were a number of issues that were, you know, but there's now an open slave trade in Libya. Literacy is down. So it's like, is it better? Is it, is it better? Cause Hillary Clinton was like, they must go. It's just the it's just an unfortunate reality of of this world, and that is that either you're oppressed by your own people, or you're going to end up oppressed by the U.S. or some other external body that sees the sees your efforts to free yourself as an opportunity to get in. 
So it's just like a sort of choose your own oppressor, you know, goosebumps ending sort of thing. You love a choose your own oppressor. That's very funny. That's going to be the name of the title. <laughs> Folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Go ahead and check out our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email if you think that we want to hear from you at palestinepod at gmail.com. And Check us out on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine pod. That has been another episode of the Palestine pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Do, do, do.